Good morning. Oh, man, this is, I, I think summer finally hit. Like, it, it went from, like, this nice, cool spring weather all through June. It was amazing to just sweat. It's kind of gross. But I, I thank God so much um, that that is one thing that did not keep us from gathering together today. And um, as Emily said, I'm the student pastor here, uh, and, and I have had an amazing month of June getting to take students on trips, um, getting to interact uh, at, at VBS, and, and also just um, just having a blast encountering Jesus alongside some of our younger uh, people. And so last time I was up here, I told you that I, I've been um, struggling with the concept of waiting and that God was telling us to wait um, and that I'm not very patient. Well, the patience part hasn't really changed a whole lot. Um, and oftentimes, I, I get an idea in my head, and I get really excited to do it. So I do. Um, and, and instead of waiting, thinking, and pondering on, on what the plan would be, I just go, it's go time. Let's do this. Um, <clears throat> And I'm not sure why this is. Maybe it's I just get excited to move. Maybe it's because like, I feel urgency because I have this, this somewhat of a plan. Um, but a lot of times I've found in, in life I shoot myself in the foot um, because I, of my urgency. And an, an example of this is, um, or, or most recently for me, I decided I was going to build a small deck in my backyard. Um, I'm a pretty handy person, I think. Uh, and so I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to do this. I just chose the perfect week to start on. Um, you know, right after getting back from two weeks of camp and a week of VBS, decided that the week before I preach on Sunday, why not? So I was super convicted by Johnny's message last week, and I invited a bunch of friends that um, really, I mean, ultimately none of us knew what we were doing. Um, and we decided that we spent all Sunday afternoon last week digging holes, pouring concrete, um, and now I have a clay-filled backyard and no idea where to go from here. <laughs> so uh, I, I found myself that I, I may have jumped the gun a little bit. Uh, and I do this in my spiritual walk, too. It, it, it's, it's crazy sometimes how uh, I get excited to do something and I, and I just jump ahead of where God's at. And honestly, what I've, what I've realized in that is it's not, it's not because of my excitement. It's because of my lack of willingness to wait on God's time. Um, yeah, God has worked in spite of that. But truthfully, I know that ultimately in my own life, it, it's when I do this, it's because of a lack of trust that God will do what he promises. You see... Genesis 25 hit me at a perfect time in my life. It arrived exactly when I needed it. Um, but it left me with the question, what happens when I try to take control of God's plan? Um, as you guys turn to Genesis 25, if you're not there already, uh, I'm going to give you a brief overview and then actually dig in. Um, <clears throat> despite God's promises that we've heard and heard and heard over and over again at this point, um, to multiply Abraham through Isaac, Sarah dies, and Isaac or Abraham takes another concubine or wife. Um, 
and, and has more sons through that. Abraham ends up dying, and, and Ishmael is brought up once more um, in his lineage. And as a reader, I think, well, that's kind of a weird place to put him. But I realize that maybe that's, that's a reminder of the consequences of impatience. And then the new generation is brought up, Jacob and Esau. Uh, and, and hopefully this is a new hope, but we'll learn today a little more about that. So in Genesis 25, verse 1, it says, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Median, Midian, Ishbak, Shua, cool names. Um, and it goes through the next couple of verses and tells that genealogy. But then in verse 5, it's really interesting because Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. And then as he was still alive, the, or but the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still alive, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward into the east country. Later in the Old Testament, we see this play out in a... In a somewhat negative way for the nation of Israel. But we're not going to dig into that today. See, there are, in verse 7, it says, These are the days and year of the years of Abraham's life, 175. Abraham breathed his last and died a good old age, a man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Mechphilah, in the field of Ephron, and the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham had purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with, his, with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And Isaac settled in Bir Lahai Roi. And, and right here, it goes on to tell of Ishmael's descendants. And, and then in verse 9, 19, got caught there. Verse 19, it picks back up. And, and this picks up with, with the next phase or the next line or in God's promise to Abraham. Genesis 25, 19 says that these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Padaram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted this promise. Rebekah, his wife, conceived, and the children struggled within her. And she said, if this is thus, why is it happening to me? I, I like to note right here, like, and this, this is an interesting piece, like, Rebecca seems to be right in the center of God's plan. She seems to be following what he desires, and yet there's still struggle. It's not all butterflies and rainbows, even though she's in the middle of that. And she went on to inquire to the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people from within you shall be divided. And one will be stronger than the other, but the older will serve the younger and when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, his body all like a hairy cloak. So they called him Esau, very creative naming. Uh, and afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding on to Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. 
And Isaac was 60 years old when he bore them. It's interesting. You see, in verse 22, Rebecca, though pregnant, is not exactly thrilled about the process of being a part of God's uh, promised line right now. And even from the beginning of their lives, though, God has a plan. God, God knew something that we didn't, that Rebecca didn't. And so he lets Rebecca in on the story a little bit. And the names Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they oftentimes appear as a group um, because they all received the covenantal promise from God and shared that same core faith. But as I read, I realized that Jacob's far different in personality than Abraham. Even though it's his, his grandfather, he, he, he acts, his attitude and actions seem so vastly different. But even from birth, Jacob... It, it's, it's a Hebrew phrase, grasping of the heel. Some of your footnotes would say it. Um, it's an idiom for he who deceives. What kind of parent names their kid that way? Sorry. Sorry, Brian. Sorry, Brian. Did you know it was a Hebrew idiom? See, did you know it was Hebrew? Okay, see, I don't know. I, I just look at this. Sorry, Jacob. Uh, <laughs> that was perfect. Uh, <clears throat> But it, it's, it, it's right here, the namesake, he who deceives. You sit there and go, mm, my kid's name means liar. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems, seems a little sketchy. It, it, but what's interesting, though, <clears throat> is Jacob ends up living most of his life according to that namesake. Uh, he uses his ingenious wit uh, and, and his, his ability to, to craft situations um, to essentially get his way. He was no stranger to conflict. He, he honestly is driven by a passion to get what he wants for himself. And this struggle was hard work, and eventually it led him to a signature point of his existence, which is probably why you named him Jacob, because he wrestles with God. He, he, he's in the middle of a moment when everything seems to be going against him. And, and he, he is at a point where he's going to lose. And in his weakness, when he sets aside all of his strengths, all of his abilities, all of his craftiness, all of his wit, in his weakness, God transforms him. He's transformed by the grace that we see all throughout Scripture. But it's through his weakness. You see, that transformation, that, that journey that ends up putting Jacob in the Faith Hall of Fame, it all starts here in Genesis 25. God said that Jacob would rule over Esau, and Rebekah knew that. Which brings me to my next few verses. See, when the boys grew up, Esau he was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. And, but Rebecca, Rebecca, she loved Jacob. And once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in, in from the field and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of this red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name is called Edom. 
And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I, I'm about to die. I'm, I'm starving. What use is this birthright to me? So Jacob says, swear to me now. So Esau swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank, rose and went on his way. And therefore, Esau despised his birthright. Knowing what I know, hindsight 2020, I know that Jacob ends up being a devout follower of God. And at first glance, as I was reading this, I realized I'm really in support of Jacob here. I mean, I, he used basic business skills to get what he wanted. I have something, you have something, let's trade, and it's mutual. And I think, honestly, in our American culture, that, that would have been commended. He, he would have been pat on the back for, well done, good job, you did it, this is great. And, and I, I honestly, I was kind of feeling like Jacob was starting to get a bad reputation for, for just truthfully good business. Uh, he was fulfilling his destiny, and, and truth be told, Esau, kind of dumb. I mean... He, he, he sold his rightful place as the firstborn son. He, he sold that for some bean soup. I don't know how good Jacob's bean soup is, but, like, I feel like this is not an even trade. Um, like, all, all of his heritage, all of his background, all of his, his future for some soup. And so, I feel, I felt... Like, that's kind of on Esau. You, you didn't think through that action very well, buddy. And then I was reminded of something foundational um, in, in my Christian walk growing up. Um, you see, if you were a child in the 90s, uh, the coolest thing you could do in youth group was collect as many WWJD bracelets as you could. Like, and that made you cool. I guess. But I came back to this at 30. I came back to this. What would Jesus do? Seems like such an elementary phrase. Um, but as I started to ask that, would, would the Savior or, or the person that I'm supposed to bear his image, would the image bearer take advantage of a hungry brother to get what he wanted? Are, are there conditions on, on Jesus' gifts? The way there was a condition on Jacob's. Would he only be kind to his boss so he could get that promotion? Would, would he talk another kid into doing something just so he could get a laugh while the kid gets in trouble? Would he take advantage of those in a rough spot just to get a few steps ahead in the company? Would he cut corners on a project just to save some money? I mean, the customer's never going to know, right? I, I honestly, I really had to wrestle with that. What, 
what would Jesus have done if he was in Jacob's shoes? Obviously, the answer is no to all of the above. He wouldn't have done those things. And sometimes, our own desires scream a different answer. And all the time, our culture screams a different answer. And I'd be lying to say that I don't struggle with this as well. As a a pastor, I want to be liked. I want to be successful. Uh, and, And there are times that I have to check my heart and my intentions anytime I talk to students. Anytime I invite them to come to youth group, anytime that I walk them through this process, is it, is it really for Jesus? Like, is, is, it, is it 100% for him? Or is there a part of me, is there a selfish desire that says, I want to stand on stage and look good? I want, I want people to be impressed at how big our group is. I want, I want people to know that we are succeeding. And even on a Sunday like this, do I stand in front of you and say things like God wants to be in control of your life while living in opposition to that? Guys, I, I think truth be told, this is, this is one of the hardest parts about Christianity is, is releasing control and, and not being sucked in to what our society desires, but honestly knowing and living truth the way God desires. See, my hope and prayer, and even my prayer today, is that I would live for him and not myself. That I I have to daily surrender my selfishness, my struggles, my pain, my glory, to further his. And I feel like I'm probably not alone. See, God's plan was for Isaac to be succeeded by Jacob. And Rebekah and Jacob's use of deception and theft to obtain it ended up putting their family in some serious jeopardy. Their unethical treatment of their husband and their brother to secure their own future came at a cost. came at the expense of trusting God and ended up resulting in long-term separation from the family. Their impatience to follow God's timing and take control to secure it themselves alienated them from the ones who cared most about them. See, God's covenantal blessings promise that he had, those were gifts to be received, not grasped. And they were meant not just for him and his life, but for the family of Isaac, because they were meant not to be hoarded. They should be used for others. I think this was lost on Jacob. 
I think he saw what he wanted and he went after it. And he didn't think about the others around him. And he's following God, right? I think that same principle is lost on some of us here today. You see, when we, when we depend on our own abilities, the way Jacob, even though he had faith, unlike his brother Esau, he, he depended on his skills and his abilities. He, he relied fully on what he could do to secure the rights that he valued. Now, this is where it kind of gets hard because I think Jacob was right in valuing that birthright. I, I think he, he, he knew that this is, this is his promise from God. But I think it also showed his deep faithlessness because he tried to secure it for himself, especially in the manner that he did so. See, he, he, he took advantage of someone who was weaker than him at that point. Following the advice of his mother, Rebecca, who also ends up pursuing right ends by wrong means, Jacob ends up deceiving his father and his life ends up being a fugitive. He, he, he's pulled away from his family because of this, because of the repulsive nature of his, his actions. See, he was, he was promised this birthright from God. It was promised. It, it was set in stone that he would receive it. And yet his patience ran out. See, he chose to seize it through ungodly actions and deception. When, when we desire something so much that we get distracted from what God desires, and in turn, we take advantage of other people's weaknesses, in, in doing this, we are saying, I, I, I don't trust you, God. I need to take control back. Like, I, I need to be the one guiding the wheel because you're not, you're not quite there yet. And I think one of the things, when we ask, what would Jesus do? Uh, it's simple. We need to ask what Jesus did. And so in Luke, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If you're not able to do such a small thing than that, then why are you anxious about the rest? I've heard this a lot in the terms of anxiousness and worry, but it's so interesting in my life how it plays out with control. See, when I start to worry or get anxious, I realize that I'm not putting my trust in God. And I start to say, okay, God, I know that this is the route you want me to go. I know that this is the plan you want me to do. So I'm going to take control again, and you just you know, pile on your blessings because I'm doing something awesome. And God sits there and says, no, 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 no. This isn't about you. This isn't, this isn't for your glory. This isn't so you get pats on the back. This is about me. And in my weakness, that's when I transform you. See, God has a plan, and he, he will 
guaranteed 100%. You can look all through scripture. He will carry out his promises. Jacob's life moves in broad strokes from, from the alienation we learn about today to reconciliation. See, we have seen with Abraham that the sense of purpose stems from his relationship with God. We see that same thing true with Jacob. His sense of purpose stems from his relationship with God. And the same is true with us today. Your purpose, your why are you here, what are you doing, what is, what is the bread and butter of my existence, stems from your relationship with God. Jacob ends up beginning a long line, a long period of genuine belief in God's covenantal promises. And yet he, he failed to see and live in confidence of what God's will was for him and what God would do for him. <laughs> Mature and godly people who have learned to let their faith transform their choices and not the other way around. There are many of you here today that live by this in such an encouragement to see that your faith transforms your choices not the other way around. Those people are in position to serve out of their strength. And just because some of us are able to make really courageous and astute decisions that result in success and, and may rightly be praised by their sheer effectiveness, when profit comes at the expense of exploiting or deceiving others, something is wrong. Not beyond the fact that just unethical methods are wrong in themselves, but they also reveal the fundamental fears of those who employ them. You see, when you use an unethical me method to, to manipulate a situation or to, to craft and your ingenious wit to, to bring about change in someone, it shows your, your fundamental fear that you can't, you're not trusting God in that moment. See, Jacob's relentless drive to further himself reveals that his fears, his lack of trust, made him resistant to God's transforming grace. And I look forward to hearing more about Jacob in the coming weeks because eventually his weakness is what leads him to transforming grace. But the more we choose to believe in God's promises, the less likely we will be inclined toward manipulating circumstances to become better, to benefit ourselves. See, the more we're in the word, the more we know who Jesus is, the more we understand what would Jesus do, the more likely we are to live as a perfect and great image bearer of him. We always need to be aware of how readily we can fool even ourselves about the purity of our motives. I think we need to ask God to help us. I think we need to ask him to help us in areas of our life where we need to give him complete control. Give over our fears to him. And we need to start today. We need to start by saying, God, I'm sorry. Remove my selfishness. Remove my desires. Remove anything that is in the way of your will. Please use me.
Father, I, I pray today that, that we would just, we would become a church that says, God, use us. And our pride, our arrogance, our, our selfishness, whatever it is, would, would be moved out of the way so that we could wholly serve you and that we could be used by you in the ways that you desire. It's in your name we pray.